I spent a lot of time in the barn sort of just staring at things, almost like I was in a trance. Like, I remember I used to spend hours just laying on the floor in the living room and staring at the window trim on the front door. I remember it being interesting because it was like I could see it either as a series of small triangles or as one big diamond with an X through it. And I would just stare at it for hours and trace the different paths around this shape with my eyes. I would even draw it on pieces of paper, which, now that I think about it, is kind of creepy to see a young child doing. I didn't know at the time what that symbol meant, but it was across the windows on every exterior door in that house. And it is just burned into my memory. After the night that Sam broke his ankle, I feel like my parents did treat me a little bit differently. I knew I hadn't been near those boxes that fell on him, but my parents seemed so assured in the blame they placed on me that I almost started to doubt my perception of things. I thought maybe even I had somehow previously when we were running around bumped into that stack of boxes and ultimately caused it to fall when he was standing there. For his part though, Sam was pretty quick to bounce back. You know, he was in a lot of pain when his ankle broke for sure, but The first thing he did when he came home from the hospital was hop over to me on his crutches and kind of say like, you know, look what I got. And he thought the crutches were very cool. And actually we did take turns playing with them when my parents weren't looking. He would let me hop around on them and we would each take one and then try to race each other down the hallway on one foot and things like that. My mom is a very organized person. It didn't take her long at all to figure out how she wanted to organize everything in the house and to get a lot of the boxes unpacked and put away. The few remaining boxes we had, you know, things like Christmas decorations and stuff like that, she took down to the basement. In one of the rooms in the basement was also where the washer and dryer was. So at some point during, you know, our first week or whatever in the barn, I remember going down into the basement with her while she was doing laundry. And as I've said, the basement was like almost this labyrinth of rooms that were just all connected. And the second room in that chain of rooms was the laundry room. And it had this like faded yellow linoleum tile floor and it was a really long almost kind of narrow room and it was pretty empty except for some bare like two by four shelving that had been nailed into the wall and the washer and dryer was kind of in the center of this room so my mom was sorting laundry and I'm kind of just wandering around from room to empty room in this basement, like, you know, being a kid, exploring, and just kind of feeling out 
what each different room was like. And eventually I got bored doing that and walked back through the laundry room and into the big cement room that was that first kind of area at the bottom of the basement stairs. And you know, like all the lights were on and everything. There was plenty of light in each room. It wasn't, you know, this dark, scary vibe, but there wasn't a whole lot down there. So I was just kind of, you know, looking at little details in the cement or the walls and things like that. And I was sort of skipping around this big empty room and swinging myself around on the iron support beams down there. And I saw something on the wall opposite me, sort of near where the stairs actually end up, like at the bottom of the basement floor. There was this section of exposed framing in the wall that kind of looked like someone had had the intention of putting up drywall but never really got around to it and on the side of one of these exposed beams there was this really creepy face that it looked like someone had drawn on there with like a sharpie marker it looked like a demonic rabbit. It was the shape of a rabbit's head with these very narrow black pupilless eyes and this like too wide grin with kind of these buck teeth. And because the beam was so narrow, it was actually only one half of the face fit on there. So it was really half of a face, but somehow made it even more creepy. It scared the living shit out of me. I got close enough to see what it was and I just had like chills run down my spine and I turned around and I ran all the way back upstairs. My mom came up a little while later and was like, where did you go? I thought you were going to help me with laundry. And I just told her I went to unpack my room or something. It just so freaked me out. Oddly enough, Sam and I would play in the basement a lot. The cement floor ended up being a great place to rollerblade or ride our bikes, especially if it was winter or if the weather was bad. Um, The room was so big and so tall that we could very comfortably ride our full-size, you know, bikes with training wheels and everything around this room in like a really wide lap. And we would just do that. We would just do laps on our bikes for, I mean, hours down there. And we would bring my dad's old antenna radio down and play, you know, whatever the local radio stations were in that area. And at that time, this was in like the early 2000s, there was a lot of, you know, like Tim McGraw and Shania Twain. And then we would also get more contemporary things like the Backstreet Boys and Britney Spears. And in many ways, it was just like a really fun place to be a kid. But when we would be done playing, it was always kind of like a battle to see who could make it to the stairs first. Because the light switch for that room was across from the stairs on the opposite wall. And so the only way to turn the lights off was for someone to stay behind 
alone, usually, and turn the light switch off and then go up the stairs by themselves, basically in the dark with just whatever light was available at the top of the stairs. And turning off the lights was like a hard and fast rule in the house. My parents were very strict about budgeting and saving money. Um, And so, you know, leaving the light on and just going up for the sake of comfort was not an option. Like we would get yelled at if we left a room and didn't turn the lights off. It was always scary and I remember always feeling like something was right behind me if I was the one to turn off the lights and I don't think I ever walked up those stairs in the entire four years we lived there. I always ran up them as fast as I could. This one time we were just about done playing on our bikes and Sam, you know, dropped his and took off up the stairs. He did not want to be the one to do the lights. So I knew the lights were on me, and I ran over to the switch, turned it off, and took off up the stairs. But when I got to the top of the stairs, the door wouldn't open. Sam had kind of like flung it shut as he ran past, and it was stuck. There was a window in the door, so there was some light, and I wasn't standing in complete darkness, but I just had this feeling that something was behind me. And I was petrified to turn around and look to see if anything was down on the stairs. So I just didn't look. I, you know, was just crying and banging on the door and yelling. And I just refused to look behind me. Like, I was sure I would see something if I did. In my mind, I'm picturing, you know, if I turn around that I'm going to see this face from the wall I'm afraid I'm going to see like a human sized black figure with you know this crazy demonic rabbit face and like red eyes and it's going to be creeping up the stairs towards me and you know, that's that's how I felt like I was in my mind and in my fear I was sure that that was what was behind me and I was just The only thing keeping me from truly experiencing that was turning around to see it. But I felt it there. I was screaming bloody murder. I'm crying. I'm banging on the door. Every hair on the back of my neck is standing up. And I just, I have this feeling that I'm just not alone. My dad came to the door and opened it and was like, you know, what's going on? And I didn't even answer him or try to get my brother in trouble or anything like that. I just shot out of that basement and immediately went to my room and crawled under the covers and cried. To this day, I won't walk up a dark stairway if someone is behind me. Even if it's a boyfriend or a friend or like my brother, I will not walk up first I make them go before me that unsettling feeling just really stayed with me and it it just it doesn't matter who is behind me in my mind if I'm going up the stairs in front of someone else it's that thing behind me that's all I can feel and I just won't do it so about this time we started to become friends with our neighbors We had moved in the middle of summer, so school hadn't started yet, and 
we didn't really know any other kids in the area because there weren't that many other kids in the area. Um, but there were a few houses in the mile or so around our house. And so, like I said, when the moving truck got stuck the first day we moved in, we met some of our neighbors that way. And it turned out one of the families, the family that lived right across the street from us, they had a couple kids around mine, Sam's ages. So after we were a little more settled in, my parents really made an effort to get to know this family. Um, they were right across the street from us, so they were our closest neighbors. And their house actually was the farmhouse that used to kind of go with our house like the barn back when the land was still all part of one farmstead before it had been split up into two separate properties the family that lived across the street i only remember them being very warm and kind people uh, the parents names were luke and grace and uh, the father, Luke, was a pastor at a local church, and Grace was a homemaker and just sort of the the kind of woman who just feels like you just look at her and, like, you know she's a mom and she's a great mom and she would, like, take care of you if you needed help with something. She just had that kind of very warm and caring vibe and uh, was just a really lovely person. They had three kids, all roughly the same ages as Sam and I. They had a daughter who was about a year older than me, named Katie. A son who was, I think, about five when we moved in. Uh, his name was Nicholas. And a younger daughter named Emily, and she was about three when we moved in. We would go over to their house, and my mom and Grace would have lunch and talk about you know, what the surrounding area was like. Um, you know, this was back before internet was super widespread and we actually didn't even have a home computer at the time. So in those days, it was really helpful, I think, for my mom to have someone that she could talk to who had lived in the area a while and knew, like, what the best farmer's markets were to go to for produce and you know, which towns to go to, to, you know, find fun things to do with us kids and stuff like that. But I think Grace was also kind of a nice friend for my mom outside of just, you know, general navigation tips. I think she was someone that helped my mom get out of our house a little bit more too and gave her someone to socialize with who also knew what it was like to have several young children. There were quite a few times when we would all go on like day trips together, especially in the summer. Um, I forget what he did, but in addition to being a pastor, I know Luke, he also had some kind of day job. He might have, I don't know, worked on a farm or a factory or something like that. And I only say that because those were the two main occupations in our town. And then my dad worked at a factory a lot of the time. He had a couple different jobs while we lived there, but usually it was some kind of factory or warehouse work. So when the guys would be at work during the day, my mom and Grace would take all of us kids and, you know, 
in the summers we would go to like a local uh it was almost like a lake and it was a spring fed lake so it was like really cold we would go do that and we would get ice cream and make a whole day out of it and in a way that family almost became like a like a surrogate family for us who like you know kind of an an aunt that we weren't necessarily related to but we had a really nice time with them Katie, Nicholas, Sam, Emily, and I would usually play in one of the kids' rooms upstairs at uh, our neighbor's house. Um, Sometimes we'd go out into their backyard, and they had a couple different kinds of animals because they did have kind of like a a small farm almost on their property. So they had like a couple cows, um, chickens, they had stray cats. I want to say at one point they even got goats, but... I'm not sure if I'm even remembering that correctly. I think they did, though. And sometimes they would come over to our house as well, and we'd, like, run all over the yard and climb trees and, you know, try to, like, make up recipes with whatever fruit we got from the trees. And then eventually my mom made this big garden out back, and we would, you know, pick string beans and, I don't know, try to find a way to eat mint and make it taste good. One day, we were over at their house, over at Grace's house, and I remember our moms being in the kitchen, just talking, and we were just having, you know, one of those normal visits, and there was a small stream that ran kind of through the very back of their yard, past the farm animals and everything like that. There was a wooded area, and there was a stream that ran through there, um... We weren't usually supposed to be back there alone. I don't really know why other than, you know, I think it was just out of eyesight and, you know, our moms were pretty adamant about like keeping us close to within their field of vision at all times. But, you know, for whatever reason, this day we we snuck back there and we were like splashing around in the water and looking at rocks and things like that. And then I think it was Nicholas, one of the one of us kids called out and was like hey look what I found and I looked over and he's holding up this kind of it looked like a ball of mud at first it was just like whatever it was was like caked in clay and dirt and just who knows what kind of debris but there was kind of like a something kind of silvery or shiny hanging out from it And it must have been in the creek bed for a while because the metal was, like I said, just caked in clay and mud. And it looked pretty rusty, too. So we washed this thing off in the stream. And here it turns out that it was actually some kind of pendant necklace. And as we cleared the dirt and mud away from the pendant part of it, I see that it's actually a miniature version of this symbol that is embedded in the window panes of my house. Then neighbor kids didn't see the similarity. You know, they, they'd been over to our house, but, you know, we're children. I doubt they really noticed that. But Katie was really adamant that, like, she wanted this necklace and not, I'm sure, because it meant anything to her. I think just because it was, like ooh, we found hidden treasure in the woods and she was the oldest and she wanted it. Um, So 
I couldn't really convince her to give it to me, but I really felt like, you know, this was something related to my house, so I should be the one to have it. I was younger than her, but I knew enough to know that if I could find something else that maybe she wanted instead, or I could distract her with something else, that maybe the necklace would be less attractive to her. So when we went inside for lunch, I actually grabbed this, like a a pretty green marble, kind of almost looked like, like an emerald or something, but it was just a, like medium-sized marble. I grabbed it off of the living room floor and kind of snuck it in my pocket. And when we went back outside after lunch, you know, I went back down to the stream and I kind of subtly got it out of my pocket and dropped it on the ground and covered it up with some mud to make it look like it had been there for a while. And then I pretended to find it and really kind of like played up like, wow, oh my gosh, like this is, wow, this is so rare. Like, can you imagine like what what this is from, you know, like, you know, I'm sure made up some story about, like, Native Americans trading with it or something. In hindsight, probably something, you know, pretty ignorant, but I was, I was six, and this is, you know, something that was attractive to her, so I really played up the backstory of this random marble, and sure enough, uh, she really wanted it and I convinced her like okay if you trade me that rusty necklace you have from earlier I'll give you this and you know we can have a fair trade and she went for it so I got the necklace and I felt kind of bad about tricking her um my parents were pretty religious when I was growing up so was definitely raised with it just you know embedded in my consciousness and subconsciousness and you know just every fiber of my being like you never lie you're not supposed to be greedy or always be super honest even if it you know puts you in a worse position stuff like that but I don't know why I just it was super important to me that I get that necklace I kept the necklace in my pocket until we went back to our house that evening and then when I was cleaning up before dinner I took the necklace into the bathtub with me and cleaned it off even more in the water and with like some shampoo or something I didn't know how to clean jewelry so it was still pretty rusty but I got the pendant part pretty clean it just felt good in a way to be able to stare at that shape anytime I wanted and to be able to actually like trace my finger over the lines of this rather than you know, just looking at it in my door I could actually touch it and like staring at it and you know tracing those different patterns within the shape became almost like calming and therapeutic for me in sort of even like an OCD way. As I got older I actually would begin to develop a pretty debilitating case of OCD I was diagnosed with obsessive compulsive disorder when I was 16, so well after I ended up moving out of the barn, but I think this is probably the earliest instance I have in my memory of being compulsively drawn to something, 
was that necklace. And sometimes I wonder if it somehow started what would later become this, you know, compulsive behavior I would have that would really become a struggle for me for the rest of my life. I think it it started with this house and this pattern and this necklace. At the time, if my parents did notice anything strange, they didn't bring it up or draw attention to it, but I definitely found it harder to ignore, especially as we got toward the end of that first year in the house. That's really when I started seeing and hearing things in the barn. next time on the barn like i see i see these shadows they're moving they're things are moving in my room and on my walls thank you for listening to the audio podcast mini series the barn this podcast was conceptualized written recorded and edited by kayla durstein If you enjoyed the show, please rate and review it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening right now. It really does mean so much to me. Thank you.